We'll now be reading from Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. And so they sat down, and then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me, that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when a redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon, also Ruth the Moabite and the widow of Malon. I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among you. And from the gate of his native place, you are all witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamor bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Here ends the reading of the word of the Lord.
Let us pray. Father God, please bless the preaching of your word this evening. We know that you use your word to create life. We ask that your life-giving spirit creates life in us this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Christmas Eve, which means it's that time of year we want to come to church and hear what happened in that little town of Bethlehem. And we've been in Bethlehem as a church, actually, all month long, but not the time of, of King Herod, not the time of, of Jesus' birth or Mary and Joseph, but 1,100 years earlier in the book of Ruth, during the lifetimes of people like Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, and a Mr. No-Name that we're going to hear from later, Elimelech, and Orpha. And this little book of Scripture called Ruth, while God's, God never audibly speaks in it, we have seen through the remarkable outworking of this incredible story, God's fingerprints all over it. In a lot of ways, that's sort of the main point of the story of Ruth. God's at work doing amazing things in the world if you have eyes to see it. Those who refuse to acknowledge his life-changing hand, they are the fools of God's, God's larger story. In one sense, the story of Ruth can be best understood by some insight I picked up in a commentary actually about this book. And it was comparing the early Russian cosmonauts with the American astronauts, the first ones to ever go into space. And when the Russian cosmonaut went into space, when he first beheld the cosmos in a wholly unique way, in a way that mortal man had not seen in that capacity before, that was only known unto God in that kind of manner, he lied through his teeth and he said the following, I see no God up here. I see no God up here. As a, as a mocking for the state religion that was communism. I see no God up here. This is one of those services. People come out. And you have to ask yourself, are you actually a Russian cosmonaut? Do you really live your life in a way where you see the fingerprints of God all over? Or are you ignorant of that? In comparison, when the American astronauts first beheld that beautiful marble suspended in the sky called Earth, they read from the book of Genesis together. I don't, I don't know if... Our astronauts today would so be so moved, but the first ones were, and it showed a, a complete difference and dichotomy between two worldviews. They, they had been both in the void of space together. They had both seen the majestic cosmos together, and then yet one is living as a total fool, and for others, they see the hand of God in it. We had Bruce stalking. Sorry to put you on the spot, but I'm putting you on the spot today. He said a lovely prayer here to, to conclude our Advent. I met Bruce Stocking about three and a half years ago. He was a Russian cosmonaut at the time. 
first conversation I ever had with him basically made clear, preacher man, I don't want whatever you're selling. I'm, I'm happy to be here to help with, you know, to stop by for an oyster picnic. I'm happy to be here to stop by to help with a, a graveyard event. But uh, I don't want whatever you're selling. Took, took a couple months later, right? You went from a Russian cosmonaut to an American astronaut, right? Took him two deaths on a table, by the way, to see the fingerprints of God. The story of Ruth, as I said, can be best understood as a reality as revealing the fact that God's fingerprints are all over for you to see. You have eyes to see it. And I can hear the astronauts and cosmonauts in the in the pew and they're they're basically for the cosmonauts, there's a silent protest at this moment, and other like skeptics. Oh yeah, maybe this idea of God works for you, but it's not relevant to modern life. And I ask, why not? Why isn't this Bible relevant to you? Have you really been so satisfied being your own God? Is the balance of your life better living in Moab and only approaching the God of Bethlehem when tradition compels you to? Do you know about the time period that this story comes from in the book of Ruth? You can read all about it between Judges chapter 17 and Judges chapter 21. Tell me if this time period sounds relevant. Ruthwick takes place in a time with rampant stealing, lying, cheating, and corruption throughout society. Greed and covetousness as well, especially within those in ministry. There were false forms of religion in this day and teachings, mass forms of religion and deceptions and lies in order to make people feel comfortable in their sins. There were extreme prejudices in society and discrimination, a wide range of sexual sins, not to mention every kind of violence that could be named under the sun. Then after that, as Judges proceeds, as time period proceeds, a nationwide division fell upon the land and eventually led to a civil war with awful human rights abuses. Those are the days of Judges, folks, as can be read from Judges chapter 17 through 21. And that was the setting for the individuals within the book of Ruth. And yet this book, of, book has been a ray of light in the darkness with those with eyes to see it. While they lived in an awful time, they did not follow the pattern of the world and say, I see no God here, like a foolish Soviet cosmonaut. No, rather, they could be living in such a time and honestly declare, isn't it incredible? Isn't God amazing? While most live as if they have no king, Ruth is a glimmer of hope in the dark night sky. No matter how small we might feel, God uses the overlooked by the world and makes them a part of his Christmas harvest. He gives people who want a better king than what the religion of politics and other false gods can offer, and he gives them the God of the city of Bethlehem and all the world. When we were last in the story of Ruth, we saw Ruth the Moabite, encouraged by Naomi, the woman of Jewish birthright, 
and insurance policy, basically, encouraged her to propose to Boaz, a worthy man of Bethlehem. And Boaz did not reject Ruth because of her past life as a Moabite, a group of people that was incredibly despised by Israel, but rather he counted himself fortunate for her desire to marry him. And while the Levitical law of God made clear that another man had first right to marry Ruth, Boaz planned to settle the matter of whether or not this man with first rights would marry Ruth in a quick manner. And if he would not, Boaz would step in for her in order to save her, in order to redeem her. So our passage this evening has Boaz going to the city gates, asking for 10 elders to serve as judges, for them to settle the matter of Elimelech's estate. But before we go into what happens, before a trial of elder at the city gates, we need to understand a little bit more about Jewish history. Let me start with this point. Soon we're going to move into uh, uh, the passages that describe uh, the qualifications for elders in the New Testament. We're hoping to have elders brought alongside and, and, and have elders uh, developed here at Old Goshenhop and to come alongside Bruce Clydesdale and myself. And there's this little requirement for an elder, and when you read it, it says that an elder is required to be the husband of one wife. And we in the modern world, we look at that requirement and we say to ourselves, oh, that means you cannot have divorced. It's actually not what the Bible's saying there. That's not how the ancient reader would have read it. Because the reality is um, that there are biblical reasons for divorce. But the idea was that God did wanted his elders to not be people of multiple marriages. And so we need to know this point because what's actually going to happen here is the ancient reader, the ancient Jew, was not willing to uphold in all circumstances the manner by which God wanted them to marry. Well, we, and so let's, with understanding that, that, um, that you could be required to marry, or you could be uh, someone who would be allowed, culturally speaking, to marry a woman, another woman. That's it. Oh, let me get off that. <laughs> so Gaboaz goes to confront the kinsman redeemer, who legally sp- speaking was supposed to be the insurance policy for Naomi. He was basically supposed to make sure Naomi's line was protected. We have not heard about him at this point, It's been two months since Naomi and Ruth have been there because, frankly, he's dragging his feet. You see, if Naomi, this widow, does not have a new line started, the land goes to him, this Mr. No-Name. And so what he will do is he wants to basically see Naomi not get pregnant, and eventually he will, like a royal line, inherit her land. And so as we understand this reality, Boaz goes to confront this kinsman redeemer who, legally speaking, was supposed to be the insurance policy for Naomi. And we basically learn that Boaz has been more generous than we first realized. Because not only was he blessing these women, he was blessing them uh, without, even though he was not obligated to do so. And simply put, 
What is going on here is that Boaz is an illustration of Christ. What is the awesome reality of Christmas? The awesome reality of Christmas is that God entered into the world to purchase a bride for himself, even though he was not obligated to do so, to bless his bride. The good news is that Christ still came for us. He blessed us with the gift of salvation. What the Bible wants you to know about this other guy, this guy named No Name in the Hebrew, is that clearly this guy has been avoiding his duty. What takes place before the elders is that this man wants to forsake the legal requirement found in Leviticus 25. I'm being too technical on Christmas Eve. <laughs> what this story is about is this. These two women were both widows. These two women had no inheritance. These two women had known the death of their husbands. These two women had no rights to land. These two women had lost all their financial hopes. These two women had been made to travel a great journey. These two women were lost in the darkness. And a Mr. No-Name, who was supposed to be the insurance policy, was supposed to watch over, especially Naomi. She was a Jew, after all. He refuses to do it for his own interest. Really, what he wants her to do is to die so he can take her land. He just wants what he can extract out of her. He wants, he's almost like the, the horse from Animal Farm, if you've read that book. When the horse no longer can work, the horse gets sent to the glue farm. He lives like a Russian cosmonaut. He doesn't see God's hand in the world. And Boaz offers grace. Boaz offers a redemption that cost something. You see, Naomi's husband, in order to move, would have leased the rights of her land to, to basically fund the move. But you couldn't actually sell off your land in ancient Israel. You couldn't give it away entirely unless you had no heirs. And so when you came back to Israel, you were allowed the right to get your land back once again. Mr. No Name wants the land for himself. He wants her land. And so while he offers for a moment to buy it back for her, because he knows ultimately when she dies, he'll get it. Boaz offers something greater. He tells the elders basically that he would be willing to not only buy back her land, but to also offer Naomi a portion of his land, of his inheritance. And when Boaz does that. He becomes that Christ-like figure because that is the good news of Christmas. The fact is, it was of no benefit for Christ to be married to us, to wed himself to us. He did not need to do it. He was under no obligation to do it. And yet he did it. And he didn't just do it and, and give us a little bit. He gives us full access to his inheritance. 
as sons and daughters of, of the king. That's the good news of this story. Mr. No Names can never offer something like that. Christmas is the reality that it cost God something, the very best he had to offer so that he might share with us the inheritance of his glory. The Christmas manger that Bruce almost broke earlier. Um, the Christmas manger is an assurance that God was treated amongst the lowly, even amongst the animals, so that you and I would be treated as a part of his royal heavenly family. And grace like this is amazing. And grace like this is incredible. And if grace like this doesn't change you, if grace like this doesn't inspire you, and it's not the most important thing that you carry with you as these days are crazy that we live in and there is no king in America, then out of love I tell you, you're nothing more than a Russian cosmonaut. Ignoring what's in right in front of your eyes, your priorities in life are all backward. Don't have come here tonight for tradition's sake. I pray you came here tonight to, for the gracious love, the gracious love that inspires. Don't believe me? All you need to do is consider what happens in verses 9 through 12. Boaz agrees to redeem these women in such an overwhelming, gracious way. The elders are just stupefied by how gracious he is. They pronounce a threefold blessing on Boaz. How God loves to inspire us through threefold blessings. The big one in the Old Testament is, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance and grant you his peace. The great blessing of the New Testament church is baptism itself. You're baptized into the threefold name of our one God. But here is another blessing of three. The first blessing expresses a hope that Ruth's house will be just as great as the house of Jacob. The second blessing is that may the name of Boaz never be forgotten in the story of Bethlehem. And he, he, we will see he has a part in the story. And what the third blessing is getting at is the idea that God might use even non-Israelites like Ruth and connect her to the bloodline of Judah, which is the bloodline in which Christ will come, the Messiah will come. And God honors their blessing. And Ruth and Boaz are married in verse 13. And Ruth gives birth to a son in Bethlehem. We finally have an infant in Bethlehem to talk about. And yet, as the title of the sermon points out, this is a child of sacrifice. And a great many miss it. But after Ruth and Boaz have given birth to a great son, notice what happens next in the text. It is Naomi who is given a blessing. And the son is recredited to Naomi as her son and handed to her. She adopts the son. This woman on the wrong side of childbirth, this once exiled widow that Mr. No Name will not marry and provide children for, provide a legacy for, and Bo, yet Boaz steps in, who endured the loss of her two previous sons, who endured the loss of her husband, the moves, the, the pain, the suffering, the famines. She is given the firstborn of another greater than her. And the firstborn become, that she is given becomes her firstborn. 
the firstborn son of Bethlehem, becomes a part of her inheritance and a part of her legacy. And the narrative closes with an entire neighborhood pronouncing that this young son has been born, not to Ruth. Notice, not to the woman who physically gave birth to this child. But notice what it says in the first half of verse 17. The neighborhood celebrates Naomi's son. Boaz and Ruth give their son to her as a sacrificial gift. And the question of Christmas Eve is this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is given. As the scriptures declare of Jesus Christ. And so will you receive the son of God? As the son who redeems you. As the son who redeems your name and makes it worthy. The story of Naomi's inheritance is there for all of us to receive in our own way as well. Another year of God's hand can be seen throughout every life here. And yet, are you practically living like a Russian cosmonaut or an American astronaut? Are you a miss or no name worried about what you'll receive and extract in this life? Or are you a Boaz who lives in acknowledgement for the blessings that come from heaven above? Is the Son of God the most precious gift you've ever received this Christmas Eve? Do you actually live like he is? Would you neighbors declare it of you that you've received him? That you have such an inheritance with the son of Bethlehem? As the book of Ruth closes, we can see that this son of Naomi became the grandfather of David, who would be made king over all Israel, helping for a time to redeem Israel into a golden era of sorts. And that same King David, a biological descendant of a Moabite, learned in his lifetime that his bloodline would continue on until the messianic king would ultimately come. And he did come on Christmas to reign forever and ever. So important to the ancient Jew was the promise uh, to David that the New Testament actually begins in the Gospel of Matthew with a genealogy showing that God honored his promise to this blessed line of Judah. And so, this story of Naomi, this story of Ruth, this story of Boaz, all three of their stories weave together to help lay the groundwork of a greater Christmas story we celebrate tonight. And for those who have been with us during the entire series of Ruth, do you remember that quote by Ruth in chapter 1 when Naomi was trying to get her to return to Moab? Ruth said then, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Do you realize what that promise of Ruth and to Naomi ultimately means? It means a few things, but one thing it means is this. Tonight, somewhere in Bethlehem, are the physical remains of two women who were buried together because in life's dark moments, they held together through the chaos and the craziness, and God used them in order to change the world. And so while their earthly remains, a Russian cosmonaut would declare, oh, they've died and gone. 
Don't believe it for a moment. Those same women are joyously celebrating right now. They have traveled farther than they ever dared hope to imagine to the very throne room of their great, 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 I think it's 28 times great-grandson who will raise those bones in Bethlehem one day, nearer now today than it was the day before, nearer now this year than it was the year before, and give them a new body that will never fail. And God freely offers you the same inheritance today. He offers his child, his son today, for you to receive and to be so changed. He changes lives. This word made flesh breathes life into lifeless, the lifeless. And it's my prayer that if you have not come to truly receive the inheritance of Christ, that you might receive the joy of his inheritance. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, you are good. In every stumble, in every utterance, your power is able to uh, supersede. And you are able to move in the Spirit in ways which we can only begin to fathom. You have promised us your word does not go forth in vain or void. It always accomplishes its will and purpose. And so may this story of you bringing life to the barren woman, Naomi, giving her a son of inheritance, may others receive what she received. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.